Welcome to Work Beautifully, a podcast brought to you by Dialpad that discusses growth, learnings, and pitfalls to avoid in business. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Welcome to season two of the Work Beautifully podcast uh, brought to you by Dialpad. We'll be covering growth, learnings, and pitfalls to avoid in business. This season is all about CIOs, and we have four impressive CIOs from different backgrounds. Um, In order for you to get a better understanding of what a CIO does, um, what it takes to become a CIO, and then here's some commentary on the typical issues that CIOs face today um, in their workday. I'm really excited because this is episode one, and I get the privilege um, of talking with Kim Verska, and she's joining us today. Kim, do you mind introducing us uh, to you and what you do? Certainly. Um, so my name's Kim Verska. I am a CIO of a, a fairly large law firm. I some, some would call it a medium-sized law firm. I've been managing law firms for 15 years now. And um, I'm an unusual CIO uh, because I came this way uh, through a data privacy background and basically through the mother of necessity, which is or the mother of invention, which is called necessity, and they needed a CIO in my law firm. So because of my data privacy background, I was well-suited for that C-suite title. Um, but in general, based you know, relative to what you just said, who are CIOs? What do they do? Um, I'm an unusual one. Again, I did not come up through a computer background. This um, is amusing because my husband is a born and bred CIO. He has a um, an engineering degree, and he has been a divisional and then a, C- a C-suite CIO for large companies and small companies throughout his career. And he finds it quite amusing that I get interviewed for these kinds of things because, uh, you know, we I don't mind doing it, but he's far too busy and, and he thinks it's rather hilarious that I get interviewed like this. <laughs> I'm also an unusual CIO in that CIOs are often, um, you know, tapped to select the type of technologies that are um, used by their enterprises. And my responsibility as it shakes out in this law firm is not that part. Um, We have a chief technology officer who loves that and and she's been responsible. So I work, you know, hand in glove with her. Um, Also, law firms are different. I mean, there is no CEO of our law firm. Uh, You know, we have managing partner structure and, um, and our, if you look at our organizational chart, it's very flat. It's basically the five of us who are managing and then the rest of the partners, about 70 of them. So uh, very different than the traditional um, company. And by the way, I am a practicing privacy and technology lawyer. So I get to interface with many clients um, in the very same field, uh, you know, to advise them on data privacy, on data breach, on many things that are relevant in the CIO world. Oh, wow. Okay. So you talked about how you took um, what you consider to be a very unconventional path to becoming a CIO. What steps do you think attributed to the success that you, that you've gotten where you've gotten to today? Uh, Well, I think it's just, I like to be uh, where the action is, grow small companies, be part of the action when we're facing, you know, business problems and how do you solve for, X without disturbing the work of our people. That's really the task. That's the challenge of a CIO and a, you know maybe a, C, a CTO. So how do you protect data that's flowing in an organization while not making it impossible to do the work? That is the challenge. Okay. And, yeah, and the, you know the outside threats, uh, which mostly emanate from inside these days. <laughs> 
keep changing and, you know, evolving. So it becomes, um, you know, the, the challenge is something that you have to look at all the time. Okay. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Uh, you said something very interesting, uh, which is not only are you a CIO, but you also are a practicing attorney. You've, Correct. You actually have your bar. Um, so talk to me about that. Like, how did, did you always want to be an attorney? Did you ever, did, did you see yourself being a CIO when you started? Or uh-huh. I know you said it's unconventional. Oh, yes. I started out as a, a linguistics major at Georgetown. Uh, and I had this thought that I would maybe go into data analytics. And I started taking computer programming classes. Uh, and I found, <laughs> I thought, well, since I can learn Russian and Spanish and all this, I can learn computer language. That turned out to be completely false. It was really hard. <laughs> so I quickly backed away from that and was, and I thought about foreign service, lived abroad in a foreign service community, did not like that. And came back and my all my roommates were studying to be lawyers. And they said, hey, I bet you'd be good at this test. The LSAT. I was very good at it. And that is how I became a lawyer. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> well. So, yeah, I've been practicing um, woo, uh, 26 years. That's a lot. Um, and always in the area of technology. Um, always in the area of helping businesses, you know, efficiently <laughs> write the contracts that they need um, and also respond to bad things that have happened. Um, Both at what I call big law. That's what lawyers refer to when they're talking about the largest thousand firms in the country. Uh, And, you know, kind of firms like that really large law firms. Uh, My law firm is a cloud-based law firm. We don't have an office. We have no physical offices. Um, And we are composed of only partners from big law. So the idea is to have a much lower overhead, take the parts of the big law firm that are good and get rid of the bad parts. And, you know, it works. It works very, very well in that regard. It, it makes it kind of fun to practice law. So you talked about um, a cloud based law firm with no actual um, offices, if you will. Right. I, t- tell, tell us how that differs a little bit. If, if someone wanted to use a firm like yours rather than the one down the street where they would walk in. Um, into that office, right. how would they contact you? How would that work? Well, the thing about it is we, um, we're we targeting basically the same clientele that the biggest law firms are targeting. We want large businesses. We work best with them because our lawyers are used to working with big businesses. We're not on the consumer side. We don't bring lawsuits on, on behalf of people. So, you know, our best clients are the ones that are referred to us by other large companies. Um, and in terms of how do you find us, it's all word of mouth. Um, and in fact, we, we, we take a lot of measures to keep the other people out who kind of come to us randomly. We, we really aren't interested in that. Um, although, you know, we're open to large firms that might need help. We always want that kind of client, but we're not a consumer law firm. We're not a, you know, like what you would find if you're walking around on the street, those are totally different kinds of law firms. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so I want to awful, doesn't it? It sounds, um, Sort of aggressive. No, actually, no, actually, you find um, I, I think you find folks like me who are um, you know ignorant necessarily. If someone tells me, it's probably similar to a lot of other folks that aren't in technology. When you tell someone you work in technology, they assume that you know how to do everything. Oh no, yeah, my husband's useless. He can't do any of that. <laughs> you know, he's got an electrical engineering degree, and he can't fix a toaster. That's fine. He understands circuits. Great. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what do they call a successful engineer and similarly a successful lawyer, a manager? The more successful (laughs) you get, the more people you have to watch out for. So, you know, I've learned that way. 
There you go. Well, that's how we start off the podcast, right? We uh, have have some of those jokes, so <laughs> appreciate that. Let me let me ask you though. We're we're going to have folks who are listening to this podcast who say, "I want to I want to be a CIO. I w- I aspire to get to that." What career advice would you give them uh, to to get to the spot that you're at? What what are some things you think they could do? I think you have to um, go into the trenches in a large organization um, with a technology you know bent. I don't think you have to be a STEM major, but you need to put yourself into um, a role like that. You know, the consulting firms are great places to start. You need to understand what it's like to um, be on the front lines in a company trying to um, implement their technology and to find efficient ways of, of solving work problems in that regard. There is just so much to be said about that. Um, and the only way I've gotten to see it is talking with my clients, low these 25 years and my husband, he's my actual greatest um, resource because he's done all, done it all. Uh, but you do need to just find yourself, find a way to be in the front lines of a security team or other implementation team for the technology that is used on an everyday basis by a large company. Okay. What do you think, what do you think is so important about specifically being on the front line? Like what things do you think that you learn? Well, um, based on what I, you know, you can read all you want about how to respond to certain threats and, you know, how companies get held responsible for failure to act quickly, you know, data breaches occur, but until you're there on the front line, you don't know how challenging that can be. Um, have you ever seen, have you ever heard about how different, how hard it is right now to practice medicine? They get so many pop-ups about alert, alert, alert. You get sort of alert deadness because you're not seeing, um, you're not seeing what's important. It's hard when there's so much noise to find the signal. It's the same in inside a big organization, because if you've got, unless you've literally started with brand new software and you only have a couple of different software suites, you're going to be getting these alerts and there's just too many of them. So you have to find the way through that, you know, through that signal. And it's hard work. You need lots of people to do it. And if you have legacy systems that are there and it's something that you do on one is going to disturb the other ones. It's, I mean, that is the heart of the work and it's hard. You won't know that by reading anything. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So if, if I heard you correctly, you think it's really about having enough experience on the front line to understand what people are going through and then to be able to make decisions that frontline folks may not be able to see. Because would, because would you agree that in some cases, um, being a CIO is not for everyone? There's some vision and some strategy that goes into it. That oh, yeah. You have, to be, able, you have to be able to have that perspective, um, a mature enough perspective to decide, okay, this is a risk that's, that's well within the, t- you know, we can take that risk. Uh, but, you know, this one is too big. This one, based on what I know, you know, could really upset the the mission of the company or something like that. You, you do need to have that um, experience to distinguish between the two. And it's hard when you first come out. But that's why, you know, I recommended being part of a, an organization where it's all happening. If you start small in an organization where little is happening, like with you've a startup that just has one kind of software, you're probably not going to be tested in battle to the same extent. I mean, to be honest, our software is extremely simple. Um, but my all of my knowledge of this comes from the client side. Uh, that is really great advice. Um, all right, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I would love to hear specifically about some of the, the, the challenges that you see 
either in your industry or your role or even your company, if you want to share that, um, <laughs> what what are those challenges and and why do you think they're challenges? Let's say. So okay, here's the hard part. Uh, you know, you you study you can study what is the best. Um, roll out of whatever technologies you might want in, in an organization. But the problem is more so, more so, more so than ever, your weakness is always your people and their training. That is the problem. They can undo even a very like low level person. I have clients who've experienced this. You just get one person who has, you know, who happens to be located in the right part of the company who click on the wrong email. And then suddenly it's ransomware and if you don't have your stuff back up, you're going to be looking to pay a lot of money in Bitcoin or something like that, which, by the way, is illegal under U.S. law. Not a, pe- not a lot of people know that because you're not allowed um, under U.S. law to pay money to terrorists. And that's what that is. Uh, and so it's under the Treasury Department. You have to get permission from the Treasury Department to pay a ransom to free up your systems. Of, of course, the best way to do this is to back things up and make sure that you're you know, ransomware proof. but People, people's ability to do that, companies' ability is is wide and varied. And especially it's tough when they're doing acquisitions, they're doing M&A, they're integrating with other companies. So it's it's always fluid and you just, you know, even the best run companies sometimes have um, a, a weakness. So you, you mentioned backups as being something super important, which I think everyone who's listening to this podcast would agree that having backups of data is really good. Would you also say, though, that um, do you think technology in general, do you think we're doing a good enough job training folks on how to do it through technology? It's literally handholding and kind of being a friendly but constant pressure on them to message about it. You can't message about it once a year. I mean, if you look at the requirements of big banks huge companies when you're contracting, you know, they want you to do security training once a year. That is not enough. We do security training once a year, but, you know, we, we message about this on an ongoing basis uh, to all of our people and we make them click. Yes, I read this, you know, or else we chase them down. Hey, why didn't you read this? So it's kind of a constant thing so that they get used to it. And it's not like data overflow, drinking out of a fire hose once a year. It's not enough um, to do that. And so, it's really a people question. How do you tell them about emerging threats and interest them in it so they don't fall asleep while you're talking? Um, it's not that hard because it's kind of interesting. People are interested in it, maybe naturally, especially if you tell horror stories, which there are many. So <laughs> so along these lines, um, you know, over the last two years with the pandemic and other things that we've gone through, um, most all organizations have transitioned to like remote or a hybrid workforce. Mm-hmm. Specifically, this uh, is an interesting topic uh, about training folks about what to do, um, you know, not clicking on links, doing that kind of stuff. But I'd like to hear from your perspective. One, what do you think about the shift to remote work? But two, has it made it more difficult to train people now that they're not in an office all of the time? So... Well, I think it's um, great. It actually causes, um, you know, Joseph Schumpeter's creative destruction of, of industries. Um, the fact that you can now do what you used to have to have a whole office and a huge infrastructure and a lot of overhead to do, you can do it remotely on a cloud-based platform like ours is innovative and, you know, potentially groundbreaking. It's always going to be slow, but it, this is a new model of practicing law that 
it's unbeatable. It's, it's so much better than what it was, what was there before. So I'm a big fan of it. And I'm sure that done right, it can um, apply in many other industries. I mean, even my, some of my clients that are handling the most sensitive kind of data are, they, we have remote work arrangements that are, you know, safe. Um, they have indicia of security, but you know, it's, it's tough. You, you can't always stop a bad guy. If someone wants to take, a, you know, like, let's say they're at a dummy terminal where you can't store, you can't print, you know, you're what you're look, you have access briefly to very sensitive data. You could take, still take a picture unless you're literally like India in one of these um, clean rooms where they get, make the people give their phones away or give up before they come into work. We don't do that in the United States. So there's always going to be the potential for threats to data. Um, but I guess the hardest part is you can roll out the most uh, wonderful technology that's the most applicable to your industry. But then, like I said, you get this one person down the line um, who has the proper type of access and they just don't know about a new kind of threat. And all of a sudden you've got a noose around your neck and you're stopped in your tracks. And it's, you know, all hands on deck because we can't do, we can't deliver services to our customers, which, I mean, that's the worst possible situation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, Kind of around that, and and you, you said that you thought it was great the the transition um, to remote work. Do you think that you're on the bleeding edge? Do you think that you're a person who has embraced it where most CIOs haven't, or do you think that a lot of folks in in just technology in general are recognizing remote and hybrid is is the best way to go? What I think is that we were lucky. Um, we were doing this cloud based um, you know structure since our inception. Um, we did transition from one system or one type of, in, you know, software. It's all SaaS based. It's all just go to the internet and, you know, double authenticate, and get in. Um, so we don't have installed software and that's safer. Um, but we were doing this from 2019 on Teams, on Microsoft Teams, which we find just perfect for our, our needs, SharePoint. Um, but just, you know, right after we completed that and transitioned, then COVID hit and suddenly like new lawyers who were joining, joining our firm couldn't get a laptop because they were so backed up and they couldn't get any assistance from an IT person to help them configure because everyone was moving remote. So we were, you know, really lucky to have missed that wave and it just impacted a few people who are joining later. Um, I would say that for the, you know, there's a lot of my clients who are thinking remote and they're well equipped to it, but, Certainly in terms of my industry, we're on the bleeding edge, certainly. Um, now, you know, lawyers, accountants, all these professions, doctors, they're going to be the last to get to the finish line. They're definitely going to be the last. It's, you know, the Silicon Valley people, they adopted it immediately without problem. They're, they're mostly dealing without any legacy software. The problem for a lot of companies is that they have agglomerations of software from 40 years ago. And how do you make them play nicely in the cloud-based sandbox? It's really hard and it creates vulnerabilities. Do you think that they're on older software because uh, newer software doesn't exist that does what they want? Or is no, it more of just, a comfortability? No, no, no. It's just too disruptive to rip out old software and put new in. I mean, I can tell you that very large companies, Fortune 100 companies that I know of, were still using Lotus Notes about seven years ago. That's 
crazy. Like that is 80s technology. They hadn't shifted to Outlook or Google Ma- or you know, Gmail. So that's not good. So do you think that those uh, companies who refuse to um, who, who refuse to accept the way things are and maybe a little bit disruption, do you really think they're going to struggle in the years moving forward? No, they'll get there eventually. It takes a long time. Um, it's just it's just like anything. It's the time horizon for dramatic shifts in how people you know see things that are really huge. It takes a decade. Um, you know, I've been working in data privacy for 20 plus years. The first big law like that that was passed was in the EU in 1995. Nobody even cared about that law for like the first 10, 15 years. And only now, finally, it's it's got teeth and people notice it. People are, you know, paying attention to it and complying. It used to kind of be like, oh, yeah, that whole thing. So it just takes a minute for it to sink into industry unless you're unless you're a first mover uh, with a new idea and then you can break free of the old model and do something much more efficient, which not old companies can't do that. It's really hard. Okay. Well, Kim, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I know that you're uh, extra busy. So thank you for for sharing that. And thank you to all the folks that are out there. I know that they're going to learn a lot from the the wisdom that you shared with us. Um, So again, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. That was great. That was so good. Thank you both so much. I think that flowed really, really well. Good, good, good. Well, I didn't have to say stop. So (laughs) impressive. All right. So who are your other CIOs? Just tell me that. Yes, here I have it pulled up right here. We have, um, well, we actually just hired our first CIO internally. Her name mm-hmm. is Prashanti. So she will be on our last um, episode. Mm-hmm. So um, we are tapping into our own network. And then uh, we only do four per season. So let me pull up the other two that we have. You are definitely the only lawyer slash yeah there's um, there aren't that many (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I imagine you hear that a lot (laughs) right um I could have talked for a long time I had so many more things I mean it it goes by fast huh um yeah it does and I wanted to ask you so many questions about um I was I was very interested in this idea of like a cloud law firm um you should ask me now I have time okay um yeah so I I think it's I I just I think that's so interesting in general um, that you get because to your point, I didn't want to say it was old. But, yeah, the legal industry in a lot of cases is is very old. They do a lot of very old things. And so, one, I just, you know, who had the forethought to say, like, hey, let's let's start a, a law firm, but let's do it all in the cloud from the very beginning. Right. Right. So um, I think the first one that I knew about was was. I started doing this in 2006 when they basically kicked me out of big law because I wanted to be part-time. And my friend from law school had, I guess, been urged by a client of his to start this. So this was a, one of the biggest ones. That one has grown into one of the largest firms in the country. Um, but there was this other thing called the Virtual Law Partners out in Silicon Valley. And okay. I guess some Silicon Valley person had a ton of money left over and they actually funded some stuff that we'll never have because it's so expensive. Like they had a PBX system for everyone having the same basic phone number. No, no, we don't do that. Um, But that one kind of fell apart because it's very interesting. You know, if you want lawyers to collaborate, you can't let them fight. 
you need to have basic rules about origination credit and doing the work credit, and then they won't fight and then it'll, it'll be fluid. So VLP had this thing where you every single thing was a negotiation. So that's not as good as a simple rule. Here's what you get if you originate. Here's what you get if you do the work. And so we've adopted that. Um, and, you know, since you're interested in law, the usual um, money flow within a law firm, it's one third pay the people who are doing the work, which includes partners, one third to overhead, huge leases, fancy buildings, art, <laughs> and then one third to the old people. They get, you know, like the profits. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so we turn that on its head. Um, we let people, if you do your own work on your own clients, you keep 80%. So forget the 33%, you get 80%. Now, we don't have a bunch of people fighting for that last third, which accrues to the owners. We have only five owners, um, but everyone else has so much more money that they can do whatever the heck they want with the money instead of let the firm keep it and spend it on art or whatever stupid thing that favors the people in charge. So it's much more um, controlled and you feel like you're in charge when you work at a place like this. And guess what? You keep so much more of the money. The norm in legal is to work between 2,000 and 2,200 billable hours a year. Wow. I think there's only one person in our firm who does that. The rest of us, we can duplicate our old salaries working between 600 and 800 billable hours. Wow. Uh, with much lower rates. Like, honestly, my work is comparable to people making 800, 900 an hour. My rate's like mm, about 400. So wow. it's, way short, it's way less, but I keep so much of it more that we're happy. They're happy. Everyone's happy. It's just ripe for picking. See, that's amazing. That's that's like uh, when you talk about disruptors, I can imagine that you guys are disruptors in the industry um, just because you're, you're doing things that are so different than everybody else. And I can imagine that they're, you know, they almost want to call you guys and say, hey, quit. Um, no, no, no. This is the funny it. part. They are so ensconced in their ways they send me work. They're like, oh, uh, I can't do this work because I have a you know, legal conflict, ethical conflict. Let's send it to Kim. So I have a great relationship with my old employer. They don't see us as a threat at all. And it's true that if you're doing bet your company, like you know, a deal, a litigation, eh, probably shouldn't come here. Go there. I don't, I'd rather sleep at night. But there's like seas of work to be done. And they can be done at this rate. Um, and the big law firms see us as not a threat because we're so, we're just minuscule compared to them. And I think it's awesome. I mean, it'll last for a while. Hopefully more people will adopt. The problem is that lawyers, we're raised from the get-go when you go to law school as um, we don't like to burn bridges. We're conservative um, in, you know, adopting new things. And we don't have, okay, it's eat what you kill here, okay? There's no salary. That's the problem. So if, if you're security-minded, you're never going to come here. You have to be pretty entrepreneurial. But... In our firm, who's making more money, the men or the women? The women. We're making more money than the men in our firm. You know, go figure it out. And we're the largest woman-owned firm in the country. I should have mentioned that on the podcast. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't ask about that. Yeah, well, no, you wouldn't have known and I should have said it, but whatever. <laughs> well, no, that's that's awesome. I always get so excited about this kind of stuff, just technology in general. That, that You couldn't have done it without technology. Cool. And I mean, like one of my partners – Five litigators just won, literally, it's bet your company litigation. So have laptop, will travel. You do not need this room full of binders and stuff. You don't need that. It's all it's all electronic anyway now. You just need to have faith that you can do it <laughs> and it works. You need the brains. That's what we're selling. What's here, right? That's all. 
Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I, I think that's so cool that you guys figured that out, how to, how to work that out. In a, and again, in an industry that's super dominated by, to your point, conservative folks who uh, are- What I mean is non-risk money. takers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. They're very liberal, but non-risk takers. So Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's super awesome. Thank you for taking a little bit of extra time with me. Yeah, you bet. Um, I'm glad to do it. Thank you guys both.